as Sarah alluded to a little while ago, um, we're starting a new series as we jump into this season of Advent. We're calling Characters of Christmas, which means we're going to be talking about the characters of Christmas. Um, Imagine that. The characters that show up in the Christmas story as we find it at the beginning of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. We're going to look at some of those prominent characters together to get a sense for how their stories are taken up into God's story, about how their lives are used by God, about what, they can, what we can learn from them about waiting and hoping and a calling in this life. And we're going to begin today with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. These are Jesus' aunt and uncle, and we begin with them because, surprisingly, that's where Luke begins the story as he sets out to tell his orderly account of the life and death, the good news of Jesus Christ, as he sets about putting pen to paper, or probably something different, based on the interviews he's had, the sources he's gathered together, as he makes that account, he begins not with Jesus' birth, but before it. Not with Christmas, but before it, a little while. The gospel, it seems, doesn't begin at Christmas, but in the waiting, in the darkness. And that simple point cannot be emphasized too strongly, that the good news does not begin with Jesus' birth, but in Advent, in our waiting, in our hoping, and in our longing. Each year as we begin this season, we try to emphasize that point, but I feel that every year it falls on deaf ears because we really just want to get to Christmas and celebrate all that joy. For the most part, our lives are too tidy and comfortable to really grasp what that waiting means. The most we generally have to wait is about two days for Prime to deliver it to our doorstep. But that's not the case this year. This year we understand what it is to groan and to cry out, powerless in the face of so much that is wrong in the world. And so we begin here, in the silence, in the darkness, yet filled with hope for what we know God will soon do. So let's pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus our single concern. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before the Lord, blameless in their observance of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. And following the customs of the priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many people will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord, their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. And the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence and I was sent to speak to you and bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, people were waiting for Zechariah and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary such a long time. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months saying, this is the Lord's doing. He's shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy and her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day, it came time to circumcise the child and they wanted to name him Zechariah because that was his father's name. But his mother replied, no, his name will be John. And they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. And they began gesturing to the father to see what he wanted to call him. And after asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing, his name is John. At that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again. And he began praising God. And all their neighbors were filled with awe and everyone throughout the Judean highlands asked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, what then will this child be? Indeed, the Lord's power was with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I want to look at two of the threads that run through this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth two threads that help us to see the way in which their story is taken into God's story, that they are used for his grand purposes and what we can learn about waiting and hoping from it. I want to look at Gabriel's announcement and Zechariah's silence. Gabriel's announcement and Zechariah's silence. First, Gabriel's announcement. We're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple without children. They're both from priestly families. 
Zechariah is a priest in one of the 24 divisions of priests who serve in the temple in Jerusalem on a rotating basis. They live elsewhere. They come in, stay in dormitories of sorts on the temple uh, complex. They serve for their appointed season and then return home back to their families. One day while Zechariah is on duty in the temple, he happens to be chosen for the once-in-a-lifetime privilege of offering incense on the incense altar in the holy place inside the temple. That altar for incense is just outside the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwells on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which holds the Ten Commandments and some of the manna still from the wilderness. Priests drew lots for this privilege, and they could be chosen only once in their lifetime to do it. Zechariah is now much older and is finally chosen for this privilege to stand feet from the very presence of God in the world, in the Holy of Holies. And as he does so, alone in the holy place, suddenly there appears just to the right of that altar an angel and if you know your architecture of the temple, you know appearing just to the right of that altar means this angel is coming directly out of the Holy of Holies, directly out of the presence of God. And we find out this angel is, in fact, Gabriel, one of God's archangels who always shows up with a message from the very presence of God, and this time is no different. And Gabriel offers this grand announcement. Your Prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many people will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. Your prayers have been heard. What better news could one hope to receive out of the very presence of God than that the prayers you have been offering have been heard by the one who sits on the throne. And yet, Gabriel's announcement begs a bit of a question. What prayers? We haven't heard as of yet any praying from Gabriel. What prayers have been heard? I always assumed it was prayers for a child, right? There's some foreshadowing of that as we find out they're advanced in years and still have no children. I always thought maybe Zechariah took this once-in-a-lifetime privilege of standing next to the Holy of Holies and offering incense to slip in some of his own prayers for the deepest desire of his heart. That instead of whatever else he was supposed to be doing, he was asking God at that moment for a child when he stood just feet from God's presence, the closest audience he would ever get with God. And that wouldn't be the first time someone had tried to do that. The story of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah takes the opportunity of her annual trip to the tabernacle to plead with God for a child. As Sam and I did the Camino de Santiago some years ago, the prayer we carried with us those 500 miles was for the blessing of children. And when we came to the Cathedral of St. James, you make your way up some stairs to stand over the altar behind an image of James himself and are at that moment supposed to ask for that for which you've come. And we prayed there too for that same blessing. I just assume that's what Gabriel meant. Your prayers have been heard, your prayers for a child. 
But what if that's not what he meant? Because at that same moment, as Zechariah is inside the holy place offering the incense, all those gathered for worship, all the priests, all the Levites, all the other people who are in the temple that day, we know from other documentation, stopped, kept silent, knelt, and prayed. Perhaps it's these prayers that have been heard. And this is almost surely where John, by the way, gets his imagery in Revelation that the incense offered up are the prayers of the saints. Maybe these are the prayers that have been heard, the prayers of all the faithful in Israel, the prayers of those crying out to God to see them, to remember them, to come and come quickly, to rescue them from the oppression of Rome, to be merciful and forgive them of their sin and their unfaithfulness to God. Or maybe it's both. Why would the two be mutually exclusive? The announcement, after all, goes in both directions. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son, and you must name him John, and he'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will bring many people back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. One of the things that's important, I think, to see is that this is actually how God works. Not just that God answers prayers, that's important enough of a lesson to learn, but that when God does so, God takes our small stories up into the grand story of God's redemption. Here we see as God shows up in Zechariah and Elizabeth's small story, as he comes into the drama of their barrenness and desire for children, into the shame and scorn Elizabeth would have faced for not being able to bear children, into their faithfulness, they were upright and righteous before God, into Zechariah's service as a priest according to the customs and traditions of the day. God enters into all of that and answers their prayers. God shows up in a huge way in their lives. But when God does so, God also takes that small story up into the grand story he is coming as he comes to save the world. God works those stories together, answering their prayer and giving them a son who will be the one to take on the mantle of Elijah and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Too often we do God a disservice by keeping these two ways of working separate. Either we talk about the mighty acts of God and the grand story of redemption and then never think about how that intersects with our lives, about how God might answer our prayers, about how our stories might be used in that work. Or on the other end, we get so engaged in our own stories and prayers and longings that we lose sight of the wider story of what God is trying to do in the world and the way in which God is inviting us to join our stories to it. The small stories of our lives and the grand story of God are not mutually exclusive. God's at work in us, in the smallest of details, in the smallest of lives. God hears our prayers and answers them in mighty and profound ways. But when God does so, it will be to take our lives up, our stories up into his larger story and move it along to its completion in Jesus. What prayers did God hear? All of them. 
And as God steps down into our lives, our ordinary and small stories, God is using us and using them to continue to tell the greatest story ever told. The first thing I want you to see is Gabriel's announcement. And the second thread I want to follow with you is Zechariah's silence. Because that's one of the more confusing parts of this whole story for me. Zechariah being struck dumb, silent, until all these things are accomplished by the prophet Gabriel. Most people will say that this is punishment for Zechariah's doubt when Gabriel offers this message, but I'm not sure of that. I have a more charitable interpretation of what's going on with Zechariah. All he says is, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. It's not really that bad, is it? And really, how different is it from what Mary says, right? She says, when Gabriel announces she'll be with child from the Most High, how will this happen since I haven't had sex with a man? The same thing, wondering how could this could be and how I could be sure of it because it's biologically not possible. It's the same response, and she's commended for her faith. Sarah, as in Abraham and Sarah, when God shows up to promise a child when she's almost 100 years old, laughs in God's face, and she's not punished. Gideon, when God promises some incredible things, demands sign after sign after sign with no punishment. Why would Zechariah be punished? What if the silence isn't punishment, but is actually the sign he's asked for? He says, how can I be sure? He wants a sign from God and maybe Gabriel gives him one in his silence. Miracles in the Bible, signs are given to assure us of the authority of the one speaking, to tell us that they come from God by being able to do something that only God and God's power can do. Maybe that's what Gabriel's doing, making Zechariah unable to speak to show him he is who he says he is and he speaks for God. Then, of course, we'd have to ask, why silence? Why this sign? Just to keep it all a secret? I think it's a way to enact again in Zechariah's small story what God is doing in the grand story. Because in the grand story of what God is doing in the world, God has been silent now for a few hundred years. In that gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, God wasn't absent. God hadn't run away. God was still at work. And we have stories in that period of things like the Maccabees. That's where Hanukkah comes from. God is at work, but God is strangely silent. And the prophets who can't stop speaking the word of the Lord before have now suddenly been quiet for a few hundred years. And here the angel Gabriel shows up and says all of that is about to change. For this son who will be named John, that is John the Baptist, will be the prophet with the mantle of Elijah. The prophet who it was foretold would prepare the way for the Messiah to come. John would burst onto the scene again and turn the people's hearts back to God by preaching and preaching loudly. God was going to break the silence, just not quite yet. Zechariah asks for this sign to be sure that this will really happen. 
and he is plunged into that same silence, unable to speak or say a word, while God readies the chorus. Zechariah comes out of the holy place. Everyone knows something's happened. He's been in there too long. He can't speak. He goes home when his time of service at the temple is done. Elizabeth conceives. They keep things secret for five months. A strange detail, unless you've ever lost a pregnancy and known what it is to not dare hope again. Nine months later, though, still in silence, a child is born. Neighbors and relatives rejoice with Elizabeth, and yet still Zechariah is silent. The child's born and still he can't speak, which means all of it has not yet been accomplished. As faithful Jews, they bring the child to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised. Everyone presumes that he'll be named after his father, Zechariah, which was the custom in the day, and it surely would have been a fitting name. Zechariah means something like Yahweh has remembered again, remembered his faithfulness, remembered his covenant, once again looked far down on the heavens and the earth to lift up the needy from the ash heap and give the barren woman a home. That's Psalm 113. But Elizabeth has a different name in mind. His name will be John, she says. And everyone gathered is confused. No one in your family has that name. They start gesturing wildly to Zechariah, still mute. He gets a writing tablet and confirms his name is John. And with that declaration, the silence is ended. Not only is Zechariah's tongue loosened that he might burst forth in praise to the God who's remembered him and blessed him, but that he might also prophesy in the verses that went on after we stopped about the role this small boy would play in the grand story of God's salvation, preparing the way for God's deep compassion, for the dawn from heaven to break in upon us, to give light to those who are seated in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide us in the pathway of peace and ready the world for Jesus. And so what is the name? What is the declaration that breaks finally the silence of God? John, which means God is gracious. That's the declaration that breaks the silence. And with these words, God begins to speak and speak clearly and speak loudly and speak bountifully to speak in John the Baptist, who will call the people back to God, who will turn the hearts of the people back to righteousness, who will ready them for the coming of the Messiah by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And God continues to speak when God's word becomes flesh and lives and dwells among us, when that word announces that the kingdom of God has come near and when that word gives his life as a ransom for ours, God begins to speak. The silence is broken for God is gracious. And that gracious God continues to speak, continues to break into the silence of our lives, into the waiting and the longing and the hoping, continues to answer our prayers in Jesus Christ and to use us to spread the good news of his kingdom. 
And when God breaks that silence, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will leap for joy, and our loosened tongues will burst forth in God's praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this declaration that you are gracious and for the calling of John the Baptist in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord by reminding us of your mercy and your grace, by calling us to repentance, to turn around in the way that we are living and to live as though you are true, to turn our hearts back to you. Lord, you indeed are gracious. You burst into our silence, into our waiting and our hoping that our loosened tongues may be employed in your praise throughout the world and throughout the ages. So Lord, hear us as we lift up our hearts in praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.